Welcome to the Consulting Pipeline Podcast. Today, I'm going to share with you a fascinating conversation I had with Luca Injani. Luca's a member of my email list, and we started corresponding a few weeks back. And at a certain point, I was like, hold up. <laughs> I got to have you on my podcast. This is too interesting. In my conversation with Luca, if there's a theme, I think that theme might be creating opportunity without trying specifically to create opportunity. For example, towards the end of our conversation, we hear Luca talk about some of the training opportunities that have come his way, both uh, training delivery and courseware creation. And I think that's a perfect example of what he's talking about. You'll hear that again towards the end of our conversation. But before we get to that, You'll hear Luca talk about how he generates these opportunities. And for him, it looks a lot more like procrastination than it does work. There is a pattern here, believe it or not. I and others think that you can reduce marketing to really just three things, connecting, being generous or helpful, and offering a way to get more of that help in exchange for money. I've seen this pattern show up everywhere from Seth Godin to Tim Grawl and points in between. So what I love about this conversation is that Luca adds a lot of detail and context around that middle part of being generous and helpful. He really brings to life what it's like to do that and how it works to generate opportunities for his business. Okay, I think that's enough set up. I really hope you enjoy as much as I did this conversation with Luca Injani. Luca Injani, welcome to the program. How are you today? I am excellent. Thanks for inviting me. <clears throat> well, thanks for taking the time to talk to me about, we're, we're going to kind of end up talking about how some of your lead generation experiments. But before we get there, the folks at home need to understand, you know, what your business looks like. So what does your business look like today? All right. So um, I'm actually a mechanical engineer by training, but you know, as these things happen, I tumble into into computer stuff. Uh, that's what I've been doing uh -huh. uh, all of my all of my working life. Um, and for a long time, I was employed at a small consultancy. Uh, worked for a bunch of different clients. You know, as as part of their engineering team. Mm -hmm. And what I observed was that you know somehow they all didn't do as well as they could. They, they struggled with creating products and they were, they were aware that, you know, they, they, weren't as, they weren't doing as good as they ought to be, but they couldn't quite understand why. Okay. And I've decided that I should help those, those people to, to be better at, you know, at what they like to do and what they're good at, mm -hmm. which is creating products. And uh, my observation has been that, you know, it's, it's mostly a breakdown of communication. Okay. Um, a good engineer will maybe be able to solve, I don't know, differential equations, but an excellent engineer will be able to talk to the customers, talk to their peers, talk to their clients, talk to their boss, and just, you know, under, understand what it is that they're building. Right. So... Okay, so what do you do now? Like, if you if someone says, "So, what do you do?" Like, how, how do you describe, um, you know, what what kind of services you provide? It's sort of two pronged. In that, sometimes I do, or partly I, I do training. Uh -huh. I come, um, I, I come into clients and just explain to the engineers certain certain techniques. Um, certain aspects of what they're doing uh, or what they ought to be doing. And for others, I take on more of a coaching role and, and ask questions really and say, yeah, how, how come you're having such a hard time creating something that you, you know and I know should be easy for you? Right. And sort of approach the, the, the problems that they're struggling with um, yeah, so those are typically the, the two different approaches that I have. 
Got it. Are you focused on any particular type of client or are you more sort of horizontally specialized? It's it's very different. It's very difficult for me to to specialize just because by the nature of what I do, I need to look at at the large part of the development process. Right. So I suppose I'm I'm specialized on a vertical, which is, you know, I'm a mechanical engineer. Mm-hmm. Um I can talk very well to companies that create physical products. Okay. And inevitably, these products nowadays have, have software components. And it's been my observation that those companies struggle with that side. You know, they, maybe they've been around for a long time, for 100 years, and they know really well how to create the physical aspect of their product. But what they haven't learned yet is how to integrate software and electronics into that. And that's really where I come in. Got it. Okay, so now I'm getting a sense of what your value proposition looks like. So how do you find clients now or, you know, the clients that you work with, how have they found you thus far? Oh, it's been, um, it's in the broadest sense, word of mouth, really. Okay. Um in that, you know, I've, I put myself out there, I make myself noticeable, and I rely on, on inbound leads to find me. Okay. Now, keep in mind, I don't need very money. Probably if I have like 10 a year, I'm thoroughly overwhelmed. That would be 10 leads? or like, How many projects is like a really good year for you? Three, four. Okay. So, so if uh, a, you know a thirty-three percent of those leads turn into projects, then you're you're in pretty good shape. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Okay, okay, that's really useful context. So, when you say word of mouth and um, you know, kind of making yourself known, how exactly have you been doing that? Well, I mostly actually I've been part of a lot of Slack groups. That seems to be my thing i like to engage in in conversation mm-hmm. like you know and and this has been working very well for me just because i get to know people in a very in, in an environment that i that feels very non threatening to me okay like i i'm a little shy perhaps so in real life at a conference or a meetup you know i'm one of those people who stand around in the corners awkwardly and crush that ring. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, me too, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and and also I I must say I I'm overcome overcoming that. I'm it, you know, it's just training and figuring out a couple of techniques, but but it feels hard for me still. Whereas writing with people is just easy. It's fun. It's what I like to do, yeah. you know. It's working. Uh so this has been this has been remarkably powerful for me. So let's talk more about this then. How, uh, what, what sort of like what kind of Slack communities are you participating in, and how do you find them? Um, oftentimes they're not really hard to find if you're looking around for them. Mm-hmm. Um, like you will find links on I don't know Reddit, for instance, mm-hmm. because somebody starts a Slack community and they want to grow it. So they're always trolling for new people to invite. Right. Um, but the ones that have been most powerful for me were actually the ones where that, that were sort of a bit more serious. Like I'm, I'm part of a freelancing organization in Germany where I live mm-hmm. and they have a Slack and all of the people there are, you know, there, there's, there are no hobbyists there or students or something. Those are all professional people, and somehow they attract professional leads. Got it. Okay. So, you're are you looking for communities that that are mostly your peers or mostly potential buyers for your services or both? How do you think about that? Well, I would like to get into communities with potential buyers more which probably actually is linkedin in my case okay okay so because I, i've never seen a, a slack for like ctos right 
they're probably around, but I've never found one. I remember one that was for product managers, which is sort of maybe those could be you know manufactured physical products, but it was probably more digital product managers. I've seen those, but I, I get a sense of what you're saying. So if you could find one, uh, like a Slack community that's active, that's healthy, that's full of buyers, it sounds like you you would want to be there, you know, instantly. That would be great if if you ran across that. Oh, absolutely. But you're finding a lot that are your your peers or colleagues, people who you know are developers or freelancers. So how can you kind of walk the listeners through what the process looks like from you participating in one of these communities to someone saying, hey, can we talk to you about hiring you? How does that process work? Well, the... <laughs> The process in itself is is not so much really a, a process in the or rather it's what I've come to call increasing my luck surface area. You know, if you are visible enough and approachable enough, then people will find you. You know, just naturally you will you will talk to them and they will or write to them and they will say, Ah, oh, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do this. Oh, actually, I know somebody who might benefit from your services, or maybe I would benefit from your services. So, in a sense, what I've discovered is that you don't actually need to do anything in particular. If you know, if your positioning is good, and if you have the kind of personality that that um, attracts people to you a bit, um, which I suppose I'm blessed with, um, then you can just be yourself, be there, and opportunities will find you. So I believe you. I think some of the listeners are saying, wait, is it really that easy? <laughs> so I'm, go- <laughs> I'm going to pretend to, uh, you know, be a bit pessimistic. And as we say here in the U.S., play the devil's advocate. So are you, you know, you're, you're participating in these kinds of communities and what what sorts of things are you talking about? Are you promoting yourself or are you just sort of trying to be helpful? What does that look like? I'm I'm not promoting myself at all. Okay. Um I'm yeah, I'm I'm being helpful or I'm just, you know, just chatting and I it's very easy to become visible in, in those communities. Okay. Just because, you know, there is like two hundred members and like twenty of them are actually chatting and the rest are lurking. And so if you're one of those 20 already, you have, you have a lot of visibility. Right. And people will just, whenever they have something that might fit you, they will naturally approach you because you're always there. Right. Right. It's been shocking to me how easy it is. This is fascinating. How much time... If you could add up how much time you're spending, uh, what would that look like? Well, on on Slack specifically, difficult to say, maybe three hours a week, four hours. Yeah, okay. something like that. Okay. So it's, it's not really shocking. It's just me. Honestly, it's just me procrastinating. <laughs> but in a way that ends up bringing work to you, right? Yes. Shockingly. Okay, not not a bad form of procrastination then. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. <clears throat> okay, so this is great. Uh, this is a complete tangent question, <laughs> but I have to know. So what is it like uh, being self-employed in, Ger- in Germany? Is, is the culture s- sort of friendly to self-employment or is it a bit... Like how does I've always wondered, and I haven't really quite figured this out. I've spoken to a number of Germans who are self-employed and never quite gotten a good answer. What's your take on that question? Well, so I'm I'm struggling to compare it to anywhere else, uh, but I don't think it's particularly unfriendly. But um, I suppose, like in the U.S., people will tend to think of you as hired help of somebody who is who charges by the hour, you know, mm-hmm. who you give a task and then they complete it. And so 
part of the struggle that I have is that I, I need to elevate myself above this status and, and really say, look, I, I'm an advisor. Um, I, you don't tell me what to do. If anything, I'll probably tell you what to do because you know I'm an expert in something that you're struggling with. Right. Okay. That's super interesting. So in our email conversation, you mentioned that one of the other lead generation things you're experimenting with is speaking. Can, yes. you, can you talk a bit about what sorts of things you've tried there and what you've seen in terms of what works, what doesn't work? So I've tried to get into proper conferences, but so far I haven't had any luck. But again, that's just, that's a, just a matter of trying often enough and eventually somebody will, will take me up on it. Right. Um, can, can I stop you right there? How long have you been course. submitting talk proposals or that kind of thing? Oh, this year only. Okay, so, so less than a year. Not very many at all. Got yeah. it. Okay, please continue. Um, what has worked quite well is to approach people to run users groups, um, meetups, that sort of thing, um, podcasters, because they're always looking for guests. Yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Um, like, ha tell me a bit more about the meetups and user groups. That that's something you've seen as starting to work already. What does that look like? Are you approaching software vendors and saying, "Hey, would you like me to host a, a user group?" Or what exactly are you doing there? No, I'm usually approaching established users groups or or meetups or whatever. Okay, and say, "Look, I are you looking for for speakers? I have you know a list of topics that I could prepare a talk about or that I might." already have a talk prepared about and quite usually they'll say yes got it okay so you're in munich there's probably a lot of uh meetups there right there's there's plenty of local access to this this sort of activity or do you have to travel for this what, what does that look like no i don't have to travel at all okay like munich is a city of maybe one and a half million inhabitants okay. we have enough meetups okay is my impression of Munich as a, a city with a lot of manufacturing correct? Yes, a lot of manufacturing and a lot of IT as well. Okay. Okay. So what what sort of talks would you propose to a local meetup? What, what sort of topics might you suggest? Well, clearly it depends on... on the nature of the meetup. Okay. Uh, can you give, can you give an example of one or two? Yeah, like so. There's there's one that I gave a talk at um, that is just sort of uh, a general IT meetup. It's it's run by a small consultancy and they use it as a tool to publicize themselves. Um, and there I just gave a very sort of overview talk over over DevOps. Okay. As as a method of improving your uh, your collaboration. Right. Okay. Um, the talk was terrible, by the way. <laughs> what do you mean terrible? <laughs> no, I, I just did a terrible job. It, it's such a huge field, and I didn't narrow it down enough. Oh, I see. Uh, so it was maybe yeah, too a little too general, too superficial. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I just got completely into the woods because I, I knew a lot more than I could talk about in even an hour that they gave me. I see. Uh, but what's more fascinating about this particular meetup was and this is you're going to love hearing about this um, from a positioning perspective. You know, it was all sort of IT persons, okay, of various description, and there was one lawyer. And <laughs> this lawyer specialized in in IT law, and she said, "Yeah, she just wanted to show up every now and then and learn something about some new topic." Interesting. Uh, yeah, and, and I was supposed to be, you know, the star of this whole thing. And of course, she completely stole my thunder. <laughs> which was which was really fascinating to watch. You know, if if I could get into a lawyer's convention as an IT person, probably the exact inverse would happen. I've heard that a very similar story a number of times and I I love it every time. It's I think for that that outsider you know, the, the lawyer showing up with a bunch of 
IT people or the IT person showing up in a bunch of lawyers, the first few times it's, it's probably uncomfortable. Especially if you're like me, it sounds like like you. you we kind of stick to the out, outside of the room, <laughs> hang out in the corner, try to be invisible. So <laughs> it's, you know, even more so if you're an introvert. But once you get past that, you're this sort of curiosity to the people there, right? That they want, exactly. they're just like, why are you here? And what can we learn from you? And, and yes, and everybody wanted to ask lawyer questions or tell lawyer stories. And right. Yeah. It was, it was fascinating to observe, really. Yeah. So was, was this lawyer maybe hoping to also generate some business or were they just there for curiosity? Well, she said she was there out of curiosity and I believe her. Yes. But of course, you know, she wouldn't turn away business if an opportunity presented itself. Right. Okay. Okay. So you did a talk on DevOps for the IT yep. group. It, um, you're, you're doing what we all do, right? You're learning on the job how to get better at speaking. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so, and you've done this with, a, with several other meetups, it sounds like. Is that right? Yeah. So um, one uh, one that went particularly well was was actually not in Munich. It was in in Frankfurt. Okay. Um, where I was invited, and that tells you something already because I'm fairly new to the field. Yes. I was invited to chair a roundtable on particular aspects of of DevOps. Okay. For an audience of. CTOs, IT managers, that sort of thing. Interesting. Yes. And again, they, they, this sort of happened through through Slack. Somebody knew that I was specialized on DevOps and I had said some things that apparently weren't entirely dumb. And they said, you know, we're still looking for somebody to, to host this roundtable. Mm-hmm. Would you be up for that? And how long did it take you to say yes? Um, roughly seven seconds. (laughs) Nice. So why do you think this one went better? Um, I I have some guesses, but why did, why was this one more successful? You think? Well, in a, in a sense, it was easier because I didn't have to carry the the conversation. I only had to moderate it and inject a couple of uh, topics. If, if the, if the conversation sort of slowed down, right. Also, I think it was easier for me because um, I give a lot of trainings. And this was sort of similar to training in that um, I was offering topics and then I I started a conversation with the participants. Mm -hmm. And that just made it a lot easier than having to carry the entire presentation myself and being sort of on my own when I realized that, that I had Put my that I had put too much in it, right? I that's what I was going to guess is that it was um, it was a sort of easier starting point for someone who's new to speaking to to do that. But it it gives you experience. It's also valuable because I'm looking at it right now from the perspective of learning how to how to do a how to do public speaking. And you're up on stage, so you're getting that experience. But like you said, you have other people helping you make it an interesting show for the audience. So I, I can definitely see that being a nice starting point. Yes, it was. It was very. It was a lot easier, and also it was much much more successful business wise. Oh, what do you mean? Uh, did it turn into leads or interest in your services? Yes, it, it turned into a couple of very strong leads. No contracts yet, but um, I think it's only a matter of time to nurture them a bit and and work with their schedule. Yeah, I that's the sense I have of at least of manufacturing clients is that um, decisions take a long time to make. It's a lengthy sales process. Yes. Also, because I am trying to position myself as an expert, I need to build some trust. Now, hosting that roundtable was a very big step in that direction already Yeah, because I was positioned as an expert, sort of a Germany-wide expert by default, but still, it takes a while. Yeah, that's true. 
So that's exciting. Uh, have other of these meetup-based um, speaking opportunities turned into leads yet? Nothing quite so solid. Okay. Okay. So that was perhaps the most successful was, it was also the easiest. That's very interesting to me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. Okay. So um, for, for the folks at home who maybe are trying to imagine how this worked. So you hosted the, the round table or, or you rather you moderated the round table. Um, did people come up to you afterwards and say, can we talk to you about a project? Like how, how did they become leads? Did they email you much later? What did that look like? So every, everyone who came to that round table, uh, of course, got in, got a business card from me. Okay. Um, and I encouraged them to, enter a conversation, partly because, you know, it's always good to engage people, but also just because it's a fun topic for me. Um, but yes, also after the roundtable, uh, a lot of people approached me and said, ah, you know, we'd like to continue this conversation. Maybe can you give us a call or maybe we can, we can um, shoot an email over to you uh, or even, you know, we, we have something in mind. We would like to engage you already for something. So somebody asked me to run another roundtable in, in Vienna, in Austria. Oh, this is great. Okay. So, okay. This is awesome. Um, so yes, it was almost no effort. I need to point this out again. <laughs> it, it fell into my lap just because of me presenting, you know, a, a sufficiently large black surface area. Right. And then these things just happen. Right. Yeah, if you're if you if you think of your positioning as you know a DevOps expert, maybe with a sort of soft vertical focus in the world of manufacturing or physical products, then um, you kind of have to become a media company in a way. Meaning, you have to just be visible the way a media company is visible, and uh, that's. That's what you're doing, although the media, I think we'll get to what you're publishing here in a little bit, but the media is sort of you showing up and participating in communities. Yes, that's correct. Um, I've also entered training, DevOps training, partly because it's fun, partly because I wanted to see how well I could do it. Um, so just as a challenge and partly because I imagine it, it gives me more visibility. Right. Yeah. The training becomes a sort of product that you can then talk about. It's outside of yourself. It's not, it's not self-promotion. It's promotion of a product in a way. So let's talk about that a bit, Luca. So what, what does getting into training look like for you specifically? Are you uh, designing sort of an online course or in-person training or what are you doing? Um, so I would love to create an online course, but I haven't found the time yet. So it's all in-person training. Okay. Um, which, again, I just sort of stumbled into because somebody from a Slack approached me and said, look, I, I have more training opportunities than I can fulfill. Would you mind taking some off me? Okay. Uh, and I thought it over for this time probably 30 seconds and said yes. <laughs> it's a little bit more of a serious decision. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was because I'd never done that before and I was sort of vaguely worried, but turns out, it, yeah, it works well enough. Um, yeah, and um, so I, those trainings often follow a predefined syllabus because we, we offer certifications that, I, that uh, are created by a separate company. So I need to follow the syllabus that, works with that certification test. Okay. But I've also already created my own courses and sold them successfully. This is awesome. Okay. So with this first training that you were asked to do, did somebody else created the curriculum, right? Or did you? Yes. Okay. Somebody else created the curriculum and also the slides and everything. Um, so I could just show up right. and talk. Okay. Okay, and I imagine um, that you prepared <laughs> for that. <laughs> oh, you did, you didn't just show up and talk. So there was some preparation. Was this, uh, what was the format of the training? In person, a group, 
how many people, how long, what did that look like? So that was uh, 12 persons for three days. Okay. Um, at the customer site, which happened to be Daimler. Okay. Stuttgart. Yeah. So big institutional client, unfortunately, of course, not a direct client. So through a training company. Sure. Um, yes. And I prepared probably f- for a week beforehand, went over the slides again and again. Yes. Um, read up on, on different topics. Uh, and of course, I still sweated bullets when I actually started the training. Oh, yeah. The first time is, um, it's, it's, can be terrifying. It was for me. Oh, yeah. The second time was also terrifying. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> how, how did it go this first class? Pretty good. So, I got decent feedback from, from my students, luckily. Um, I realized that I could have done a lot of things better. Sure. But as things, as these things usually go, I was the only person to notice. Right. Of course. Of course. You realize where you do deeply understand the subject and you also realize where you could improve in your understanding. When, when you teach something, it just it creates this clarity about how deeply you really understand the subject. So I, I imagine a little bit of that was going on. Oh, absolutely. Uh, another aspect was just, you know, knowing the, the slide deck well enough because it was a couple of hundred slides, I guess, sure. over three days. Right. And so I just, some, sometimes I just got confused with the slides and had to fast talk my way through that. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. But yeah. Worked well enough. And now I'm just really solid, as you say. It really deepened my understanding of the subject itself. That's great. So, did you do more trainings that were like that, or did you very quickly say, I want to create my own curriculum and, and do this myself? Um, it's a matter of opportunity. So I, after a while, I was approached by a training company to, to give a course that I didn't have a curriculum for, so I created one, and I learned a great deal about that. Yes. Um, course also went very well. I'm pleased to report. That's great. Um, and the other thing that happened was that I I got into a bit of a conversation with the company that creates those curricula and the training materials. Okay. Um, they hosted an event in Amsterdam where they invited all trainers to discuss further stages of, of the program. Yes. Uh, so I flew to Amsterdam at like four in the morning or something crazy. <laughs> uh, and... And we had a very interesting conversation. I met a lot of people who are far smarter than me. Um, And they asked if somebody wanted to prepare the the curriculum and materials for the advanced courses. Oh, wow. Okay. And so I said, yep, I'd be up for that. And so I got accepted and I'll be writing the advanced level DevOps courses for this particular training provider. So I think this is about the point at which some of the people listening to this episode are saying, you make this sound so easy, Luca, to have all these opportunities show up. But, (laughs) you know, I believe you when you say it it really is just a matter of um, being visible, uh, sort of being in the right places but, I mean, are you surprised by the, the – these are wonderful opportunities. These are all part of uh, – I can tell you that, you know, delivering training can also – you're getting paid for that, but it can also be wonderful lead generation because you can be approached by folks in the class to do consulting. Ha- have you seen that happen yet? Yes, um, I've seen that happen. Unfortunately, it hasn't led to actual contracts yet. Right. But it has led to to more and even more uh, expensive training opportunities for me. That's so cool. So, but back to that question, can, I mean, can you imagine someone saying, "Is it really this easy?" <laughs> like you're making it seem so easy. What would you say to that? Yeah, well, I I don't even have to imagine that because I used to be that person, like right. a year ago, even or one and a half years ago. I couldn't imagine it being this easy. Uh, but it is. All you have to do is show up, be visible, 
And sooner or later, things will almost fall in your lap. I'm, I'm, I'm as surprised as anyone. How long did you have to wait? So you're showing up, you're being visible, you are contributing, you're being helpful, you're being of service to people in a setting where others can see this happening. How long did you do that before the, there was some sign of, oh, this is actually useful as a business development strategy? It probably took about a year. Okay. That's, I think that's, that's the key from my, from my perspective is I think if you were doing this expecting results very quickly, you might have given up, right? Or you might have said, well, this doesn't work. Or, I, I, you know, let me ask you, what was your motivation in, sh sh I just call it showing up and being helpful. You call it being visible. It's the same thing. What, what, was, what, what originally motivated you to do that? Beats working. <laughs> okay, so it really was, it was a procrastination tool. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> okay, so you procrastinated for a year, and then you started getting leads as a result of that procrastination. That's great. Yes, <laughs> it's ridiculous, isn't it? But I've come to the realization that this is this is really how how easy it is. I mean, even this this podcast appearance now is is proof of that. All I did was challenge you in two emails right yeah that's essentially all that happened yeah yeah you responded to an email that i sent my list and we got into a conversation and i said well i want other people to hear this conversation so <laughs> let's let's record a podcast yes and i had i had no no you know second thoughts about that i i, I was just i was just replying to something where i felt that i had an opinion and and sort of forced it on you whether you wanted to or not Thank you for doing that. I wish more people would, <laughs> on my list would do that. <laughs> so one of the things in our email conversation that we talked about, I asked, what, what lead generation gaps are you working on closing? Meaning, you know, what things do you, do you want to try that you haven't? Or what things do you want to do more of that you haven't? So what, what are you thinking there? So I think I've come to the realization that, um, I'm just really good at speaking, so I would, I want to do more of podcast appearances, more user group appearances, um, and yet again, you know, I've I've got a couple of invitations to podcasts. This being the first one that actually resulted in a in a recording, right? Without trying for it, I was just talking to people, and they said, "Yeah, no, maybe you would like to appear in my podcast." Wow. Um, so this is something I, I want to, to do more. That's great. Uh, what, can I, can I ask, what, uh, before we move on, what, what kind of podcasts yes. have you been getting? Are they IT podcasts or DevOps related, or what do they look like? Yeah, well, that's, in a sense, it's the downside of that, because it, I wasn't targeting anyone at all. Mm -hmm. They're just sort of all over the map and none particularly relevant to my niche. Okay. But, you know, I don't mind. It's still exposure it's it's fun honestly yeah i agree yeah i think especially when you're starting out it's valuable to say you know i don't care it does not have to be the perfect alignment of audience and topic it's practice it's you know it's getting comfortable with speaking into a microphone and you know there, there's lots of things that are i think valuable about just saying yes even if the opportunity seems like it's not perfectly aligned with what you're trying to do. Exactly. Especially for podcasts. I mean, I'm, I'm talking for an hour that, you know, how, how badly could that hurt? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So spontaneous podcast guesting invitations. Have you thought about hosting a podcast or uh, creating a podcast? I've considered it and I would like to, but I think it would be premature. Right. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Okay, so podcast guesting is something that you're going to try. Um, what what about that appeals to you? I mean, you mentioned you like speaking; you're good at it. Is there anything else about it that is seems like it, it's a good experiment for you to try, or like why why podcast guesting? I think it just 
feels natural to me because I like to listen to a lot of podcasts. And so almost automatically I start thinking, hmm, wouldn't, be, wouldn't it be nice to be a guest on this podcast? Or, right. or which podcast would I like to hear myself on? Right. And I'm, I'm going to try to actively reach out to podcast hosts. And I have a strong suspicion that they're always looking for new people to interview. So I haven't tried it yet, but I'm predicting pretty good success. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. So what else is on your list of lead generation uh, things to try? So the other thing I want to try is to actually use LinkedIn for for outreach okay. or for lead generation. Okay. Honestly, I've never really used LinkedIn so far. I mean, yes, I have a profile, but I'm not even sure it has a picture. Um, and I want to try and use it to approach the kind of people that I can't quite approach through, uh, through Slack yet, mm -hmm. like more manager types. Um, and it's going to be an interesting experiment. It's also going to be interesting because um, you finally convinced me to try and uh, publish something daily. Mm. And I decided I will just publish something on LinkedIn daily. Right. Some kind of thought, blog post, mini blog post, whatever, on, on my field of expertise and see where that gets me within, you know, a couple of months, maybe a year. Right. So, yeah, that's, that's one of the nice ways to use LinkedIn is a sort of distribution channel for whatever you might have to publish. It, are you going to um, like message people on LinkedIn and try to start conversations or do more cold outreach or, or are you thinking of it primarily as a as a sort of content distribution platform? No, I also want to try cold outreach. Okay. <clears throat> I've never tried that before. Um, but you know, since since I seem to have a knack for for written conversations, I think once I get somebody to actually reply to me, I have a pretty good chance of not making a sale. I'm not honestly aiming for that, but of learning something. Okay. And eventually sales will just happen on their own. Okay. So two questions there. What are you trying to learn? As you imagine yourself in the future, reaching out to people on LinkedIn, what, what are you trying to learn from them? Well, I need to understand better what their actual problems are. Okay. Um, so that I can can better serve them, better help them solve their problems. Got it. Okay. That, that's to me. That's critical. <clears throat> I I think it's maybe going too far to make this a, a general rule, but you know I believe this. My friend Liston Witherill sort of teaches this idea that. The, the sales are a byproduct of something else. They're a byproduct of trying to figure out the best way to serve a prospective client. If you flip it yes. and your goal is the sale, I think, especially for folks like us, it just messes so many things up and creates so many problems if the only goal is to make a sale. But I think if it, I mean, what you're saying is, can I even help you? Do you even have a problem that I can help with? That's the goal of these conversations, right? Yes, absolutely. This is this has been so so surprising to me to see it work. You know, I've I've heard it a lot from you and from other people, mm -hmm. um, but to actually see it in action and observe that if you approach people without anything in the back of your head, you, you don't want to sell anything. You just you know you just like talking about this subject, right? And uh, people will say, you know. You sound, you sound like a really smart person. Can we hire you? Right. Yep. The sale is a byproduct of something else, of, of like being concerned about their world, about, in other words, caring. <laughs> it's, it's a byproduct Absolutely. of that. Okay. So the second question I have, oh, sorry, you were about to say something. Go ahead, Luca. Yeah, there's, there's something that, that's actually important to me. And that's um, one of my clients recently said to me, you know, Luca, you're always so nice. Even if I'm saying something that's stupid, you never make me feel stupid or mm -hmm. like I, I should feel ashamed for saying that. I can just ask questions and 
and you will always work with with me in in a very human way and i've realized that this is this is actually who i am right. who i want to be and, and this is actually a business asset right. right this is i want to make this part of my positioning i'm i'm somebody who's just nice yeah well one of the forms of risk is the risk that we will be embarrassed or you know our sort of social status will be threatened by some somebody who knows more about a subject making us look bad right and so you're reducing that risk by just being who you are yes that's i mean that's the way i would describe that and you're right it's a huge business asset any any ability to reduce risk for a client is a potentially huge business asset and and it's not just in term that risk doesn't just show up in terms of how the software works or how how money comes in or how money is spent it also there's an emotional component that's very significant i believe oh i i couldn't agree more in fact this is central to my work this is this is also human you know all of those engineers they they think that they're very technical minded and but it's it's always about misunderstandings about pride maybe mm-hmm. about not wanting to confront things that you maybe didn't do as well as you could have. That's that's usually what what really stops a team in their tracks, not whether you have Jira or you don't have Jira. Right, yeah. So my second question about the LinkedIn lead generation idea that you have is when you're looking for people to talk to, how will you, I know you haven't used LinkedIn a bunch, but how do you see yourself searching on LinkedIn to find them? Will you be searching for job title or industry that they're in or something else? I think it will actually be difficult to search for job titles mm-hmm. because since what I'm doing is, is so human-centered um, and we know that you know job titles often don't really explain very well what a person is doing, what position they have in a team. They might nominally just be an ordinary engineer but really the 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 centerpiece of that entire team or maybe somebody's a manager but really they don't they don't understand well enough what's going on Mm -hmm. so i think i will have to search by vertical and just sort of feel my way in see if somebody understands what i'm talking about feels that the pain that i'm that i'm talking about and understands and believes that i can help them with that right that is what I've seen as well. <laughs> and especially at this stage, later, maybe, you you figure out, okay, it's it's always the VP of engineering who I need to talk to, or maybe I don't start with them, but they they they're the only one who can usually approve the expense, so I and I have to include them. Like you can figure those kind of things out, but I think what your your approach I think is exactly right. It's a process of experimentation and discovery at first until you start to see the patterns of, oh, it's usually this type of person or usually this other person or whatever it looks like. Okay. Yes. So I think the last thing that you had mentioned in your email to me was uh, content marketing, blog posts and email. You had listed those as things that you... in you know, plan to experiment with. So I'm curious what you're thinking there and what you're planning to do there. Yeah, so that's that's actually a difficult question because it's a bit of a chicken and egg problem in that, um, you know, I, I have a blog and it gets like, I don't know, a handful of visitors per month sure. or something. Right. And I don't really know how to make it more visible. And what's What's more is um, an email list. How do I get people on an email list? You know, a lot of people like you and Kai Davis and, and all of those people say, oh, yeah, you absolutely have to create an email list and get thousands of people on it so you can promote <laughs> your services. <laughs> yes, if only it were that easy. Right. Like I have, I have an email list and I think there's three people on there last I checked. And I, I'm honestly, I'm wondering whether the, the time for email lists has passed 
And this advice was good advice five years ago when you started your email list. And maybe it's not good advice anymore. I, I, I can't tell. I have no idea. Right. Yeah. There's, there's always a, I, I think if you take a step back and look at anything that marketers would call a channel, so they would call email a channel, they would call social media a different channel, they would call paid advertising a different channel. There's, um, and you sort of map out the popularity of that channel. I think there's a consistent pattern and it doesn't matter what the channel is. Um, have you ever read this uh, blog post by this guy, Andrew Chen? It's called The Law of Shitty Click-Throughs. <laughs> <laughs> I have not. <laughs> it's a pr pretty memorable title, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to read it. I think you'll enjoy it because it describes this, this process by which a new channel comes up. I don't know. Let's talk about LinkedIn. Okay, so LinkedIn, I think pretty recently made the decision, we want people to spend more time on LinkedIn. Actually, that's probably not a recent decision, but they seem to have made some changes. And those changes really emphasize the LinkedIn activity feed. So if you just go to LinkedIn to your sort of, you know, dashboard there, not editing your profile, not doing a search, you've got a feed that's a little bit like Facebook or Twitter, right? And I think they want people to spend more time in that feed. So what can they do? They can reward people who post good, engaging content by really, you know, algorithmically promoting that very heavily. And so that means that people see this happening and go, wow, you know, if I put a decent video on LinkedIn, it gets a lot of views. That doesn't happen mm -hmm. on Facebook. That doesn't seem to happen anywhere else. They are going to be naturally motivated to put more effort into you know, doing the thing that works on LinkedIn. And then they're going to tell people about that and others are going to do the same thing. And all of a sudden you're going to have that LinkedIn activity feed becoming a much more noisy, saturated place. And that's mm -hmm. going to result in things starting to perform worse and worse. This is the process that Andrew Chen describes in that article. And it happens with every channel. Like you probably remember when people were saying, oh my God, Instagram is such an amazing way to, you know, advertise your e-commerce store. Maybe it still is, but it only takes a little bit of people saying that and other people saying, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, really focus on Instagram before Instagram is a very noisy place where it's difficult to, uh, you know, connect with people and get their attention. So um, I think that happens to everything. And mm -hmm. I think what that means is that as you get towards the end of that process, I mean, there really is no end to it. But as you get later in the in that process, you have to work harder for any particular channel to to perform really well. It'll be the same way with podcasting. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just nothing is immune from this. So um I, I think for some people who are maybe not working very hard at their email list, it's probably too late, you know, to start a, an email list and have it work the way that it would have worked five years ago. But I also think, I mean, this is me sort of throwing my opinion out there, uh, which is not my job as an interviewer, but here I am doing it anyway. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, I think if you, I think if you work at it and approach it the right way, there's opportunity in any of these channels. Even What's the right way? Well, it depends. Um, I would say, you know, with banner ads, there is no right way because that's, you know, that's a channel that worked really well. You remember when banner ads worked on the Internet. Um, they're not going to work anymore. Back in the 90s. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's dead. Um, I think the right way is in email or any form of content marketing, it's having a really strong, distinct point of view it is um, being a little bit polarizing or opinionated in how you express that point of view. It is being um, remarkably authentic. And I know that word authentic is overused, but I think that is part of what works in content marketing and email. And I think it's being, um, I really do think 
publishing frequently helps. You and I might disagree about that, but I, I think that helps when you combine it with all the other elements that I'm talking about. So, yeah, but it doesn't doesn't get solve my fundamental problem of getting more than three people on my list. That's right, because all what we're talking about is what happens when people are on the list. And exactly. you're absolutely right. Like, how do they get on the list? For me, you know, podcast guesting has been a pretty good way to do that. So, huh. you know, guest, guesting on a podcast, the end of the podcast, just like I'm going to ask you, I'm going to say, Luca, how can folks find out more about you? Um, you know, podcast hosts always ask me that. And I say, well, go check out the positioning crash course. It's a free email crash course. So that actually has been, you know, good enough to build about a 2000 person email list. I need to, you know, figure out some other ways to add to yeah. that, but that's been good enough. Um, I just uh, interviewed uh, Corey Quinn. I don't know if you know Corey or know of him. He has an email list called Last Week in AWS, which is a sort of email roundup of AWS news. He's He's sort of curating and filtering the thousands of things that are, you know, each week written about AWS and he's filtering it down to this is the stuff that's worth paying attention to. And in 18 months, he's gone from zero to about 5,000 or maybe said 7,000. I can't remember somewhere around there, uh, list members, which has largely been organic. So there, are, I'm not saying everybody could do this. I'm not saying it's easy. But there are ways of growing a list that have a sort of, um, you, the, I mean, the list is kind of, for him, it's sort of what you were talking about, where you're showing up and being helpful. He's, mm -hmm. he's providing yeah. a service to a community that nobody else was doing. And as a result, the list has grown very, I mean, I think that's really wonderful list growth. So um, there are ways to do it, but you're right. It, Talking, thinking about what the content is is not enough. You have to also think, how will people see value in giving me an email address? Like, what's in it for them? Yeah, exactly. Firstly, what's in it for them? And secondly, how will they even find me in the first place? Right. Now, as you say, podcast guesting might be a good option, but this is, this is something that I've been struggling with for a long time. Yeah. And I, let me go ahead and tell you, you will have to do some experimentation, but I have this incredible confidence that you will be fine because I've seen what you've done in other areas, like you've just been talking about what you've been doing in other areas. And you, you have that sort of ability to try something, be patient to see if it works, um, take a risk in doing it. And I think you have to be willing to do that. Otherwise, you won't really figure it out because the same thing doesn't work for everybody. There's no just, you know, one recipe that everybody can follow. Yes, I agree. And in fact, I would like to speak to being patient because this seems to be another theme of, of my career trajectory. Like I started thinking about freelancing about three or four years before I actually decided to go through with it. Mm -hmm. um, and I used that time to sort of systematically understand what I should be doing, um, how I should be doing it. I read the positioning manual. Um, you know, all of those things. So once I was ready to, to become a freelancer, I had a pretty solid idea of what I was doing, how I was doing it, mm -hmm. why I was doing it. Right. And this is still something I think that I'm doing for, you know, for all my quick decision making. Um, it comes from a place of having thought through all of these things beforehand. And then once the opportunity presents itself, I can just reach out and grasp it because I figured everything else out beforehand. Right. That's wonderful. I, I think that's a good place to wrap up. Um, Luca, thank you. This, for me at least, has been such a wonderful conversation. I, I think for others who are trying to figure out how to do what you're doing, uh, 
this is also going to be very, very useful. Um, so just thank you for um, kind of showing what <laughs> your thought process and all the things you've tried and just how you approach this. It's just been wonderful. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun to to think it through myself, and I hope it helps lots of people. I believe it will. As promised, I would like to ask you, <laughs> how could folks find out more, reach out to you, just anything you'd like to suggest as the next step for the listeners who are interested? Yeah, so since my last name is impossible to pronounce, <laughs> I've got a domain that's hopefully a bit easier. It's luca.engineer. So if you go to luca.engineer slash cpp for the Consulting Pipeline podcast, um, you'll find ways there to get in contact with me. Please do. I love talking to people. I love talking about ways to make dev teams work better. I love talking about DevOps. Um, so by all means, if, if you would like to start a conversation with me, just go there. Um, there's a Calendly link. Book a conversation or write me an email. And I would love to hear from you. Luca, thank you. Philip, thanks a lot for having me. This has been tremendous fun.